From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty and Perenni Podcast. another episode of the Frosty and Parenti podcast. I'm your host, Derek Frost. With me, as always, Tony Parenti. And I'm live in studio for the first time ever at Frosty's Pub and Cigar Lounge. <laughs> Way to read the sign, you jerk. Oh, yeah, it's kind of wordy. <laughs> you couldn't make it a little more, a little more straight to the point? <laughs> it is straight to the point. It's Frosty's. It's a pub and cigar lounge. And Frosty's there, pub and cigar lounge. And there's that Frosty and Perenni logo. I, I like it. Dude, the new yeah. logo is clutch. It is solid. Yeah. It's yeah. a good, good color scheme that we went with there. I'm a big fan. We had a lot of uh, different ideas we were rolling with, but ended up going with the 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 Browns helmet style where we have like the carbon fiber looking, interlocking uh, color scheme there. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, didn't really want to go with the Browns color scheme. It felt like we were kind of pigeonholed and having to talk about them every <clears> week. Then. Yeah. That hasn't really suited us well in the past. But you know what? We got red, white, and blue. That's America, Tony. Damn right. Speaking of America, bringing in a co-host uh, from a few weeks ago to sit in here, uh, who's, who's prepared to go uh, join the armed forces here very soon. Welcome back to the podcast, Tim Taft. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, lead in there, Derek. But I do just have to comment on this logo because I feel like it's got some glaring inaccuracies. It mentions both of your names. Tony, who's clearly the subordinate co-host. Derek, who can't get GarageBand to work properly. (laughs) So this being our third take, I feel it is important to note to the listener that your co-host and your host are frauds and that if anyone should be doing this podcast henceforth, it is me. The only man who's had a successful run as a live co-host on this particular podcast. So I'm just leave that where it is, and presumably we can continue the show. But just note, dear listeners, this may be the last time you hear Derek and Tony on this podcast. <laughs> All right, so this is, as Tim mentioned, the third take. The first take, we had some sound issues. The first take, we were doing really good. We got partway through our super cold open, and all of a sudden, Garage Bay had just crashed. So we are starting over. Uh, after we were about five minutes in, our listeners missed a lot of stuff too. I mean, there was there was a contract signing. It was suspended above the ring. Uh, I was on the mat for a while, just laying there unconscious. <laughs> Tim was about to grab it. And Dave came over with a chair and just smacked the ladder. Unrelated to all this, I pissed in the corner. So, dear listeners, you have missed a ton to this point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Enjoy the Cliff Notes version of that. <laughs> yeah, they have no idea what's going on. Uh, anyway, so that's how this podcast goes. You all are used to it. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and just move right into the fact that Tony got his ass kicked by Kalen this uh, week. i got to talk about this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony Peretti's Pretoria FC takes his first loss in our super cold open presented by Modine's 3, Letterkenny's premier home for Puppers Lager. Tony takes his first loss, losing 126.5 to 106.7. Kalen King off to a 4-0 start. And Tony, your team barely breaking 100. 
Yeah, overall, a disappointing showing for the game of the week. Uh, neither team hits their projection, but mine in particular uh, really submarined that projection. Uh, both starting receivers, Calvin Ridley, ends the day with the same amount of points he started with, zero. Uh, running around there on a bum ankle, and uh, Tyler Lockett, only six points. Uh, we kind of mentioned in last week's podcast it might come down to uh, the battle of the Seahawks receivers as far as whether it was a DK game or a Lockett game it ended up being a DK game and uh, Kalen ends up benefiting even with the Chubb injury Yeah, I was nervous for Kalen there uh, with the Chubb injury. He only gets 4.3 But Aaron Rodgers picks up the slack there at 29.5 Out doing his projection Ezekiel Elliott at 20.5 slightly below uh, what he was projected But still a pretty good showing Everybody else essentially at projection at the end of the day. Kalen was 12 points under projection. On your side, Tony, a lot of disappointment there. Lamar Jackson comes in at 25, and he was your bright spot. Alvin Kamara with 20.9, but still under projection. You already talked about Calvin Ridley. Miles Sanders only gives you 9.6. Receivers combined, 5.9 points. Uh, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire under projection there at 12.1. Are you concerned about him moving forward, or do you think this is just a, a rough game? Uh, I think touches are still there. I think at the end of the day, he's going to get enough touchdowns to make it work, especially in that high-flying offense. Uh, when you're getting 20-plus touches in the Chiefs offense with Mahomes out there dealing, uh, more often than not, you're going to put up some points. So I'm not too concerned about him. Uh, obviously, the story was on my receivers. Uh, the Colts, unfortunately, don't get to face the Jets every single week, so they came back down to a more normal eight points this week. I <laughs> uh, couldn't benefit from that. Uh, just, just all around, a lot of different factors going into a really, really poor week for my, for my squad. Now, are you concerned moving forward here? Is this, is this a fluke game for you, or is this coming back down to normal after maybe a few fluke games in the beginning? I don't want to overreact to this one loss. I still like a lot of my team. Uh, made a deal uh, yesterday with Steve to get Devontae Adams coming in, so he's, he's on his bye week this week, but after that, should hopefully get a healthy Devontae Adams to plug into the roster as well. So I'm, I'm liking where the team is going. Just uh, kind of, I need to avoid that injury bug that's been plaguing a lot of other people in this league. It's been my year a couple times. So far hasn't been, knock on wood. And I'm gonna hope it stays that way. Somebody else who's gonna hope he stays doing well is gonna be Tim, your team. Uh, new name, by the way, leave it to Beasley. No longer Chris Hogan's heroes, uh, but going for leave it to Beasley gets a big win over Steve Groover's threat level midnight 149.2 to 100.3. Tim, you got a, a great showing again out of Josh Allen. We talked last week that you know ESPN was starting to catch on to the fact that Josh Allen was doing really well. He gave him a high projection at 23, but he still outperforms that. Devin Singletary outperforms projection. Uh, with 18.6. Aaron Jones outperforms projection with 22. Jarvis Landry outperforms. Cooper Cup outperforms. Darren Waller outperforms. Todd Gurley outperforms. Rams defense outperforms. The only person that didn't hit projection was your kicker, <laughs> Matt Prater. Uh, so <clears throat> we talked when you were on a couple weeks ago that your team is routinely under projected for where you end up and in fact it was the case this week you projected 124.7 you score 149 uh, so that's got to feel real good here to be three and one uh, you're still third in the division but your your season's going in the right direction yeah a, a note about the name change you know when you 
have a pun that involves a player's name, I believe it is only right, it is only moral and ethical to have that player on your roster. Now, for whatever reason, I seem drawn to white slot receivers as my team namesakes. <laughs> and it turns out that Cole Beasley is a better choice than Chris Hogan. So thankfully, there's a pun waiting for me right there with another classic TV series and leave it to Beaver that practically writes itself. <laughs> so Beasley on the bench even, putting a respectable 12.2, and he is indicative of the kind of player I've been targeting. High floor. Now, I can get the occasional boom game, but I don't want to underperform my projections. I want to hit projection or be over projection. And as again pointed out last week, and as you pointed out again, my team has been fairly consistently solid in that regard. Even dealing with Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a COVID bye week, and uh, Raheem Mostert, who hasn't come back yet from his injury. So good week for me. Uh, obviously, Steve is kicking himself for not starting Joe Mixon, but even if he had started Joe Mixon, he still would have lost. Uh, Mixon has been sleepwalking through the first half of the season here, um, but puts up a massive 42 points. I'm happy to see that on the bench. But like I said, even if he were started, uh, this would still be uh, a victory for me. So good start so far. Uh, not getting too confident because I know players like Tony, players like Kalen uh, can lay the smackdown. And I'm sure we'll get to this game soon. But uh, even Vince, it turns out, is capable of a massive performance too. Yeah, so Tim, you were a uh, second leading scorer of the league. And spoiler alert there that you dropped, uh, Vince was going to be leading scorer. We'll get to his game in a minute. Uh, but on the other side there, Steve gets a good showing out of Dak Prescott with 37, and otherwise a fair amount of disappointment throughout, as there are a lot of single digits. He barely breaks 100, uh, was projected for 118. But I think we're seeing a, a new team out of Steve, and we've been kind of saying, like, yeah, like, hang on. Like, Steve's, you know, he he's, he's, was 1-2 coming into this game, but, you know, it's not too far off, and he's getting geared up for playoffs. But... You know, going into week five, sitting there at one and three, Tony, it starts to make me feel a little bit more nervous for Steve's team. Uh, is that is that hitting you, or are you thinking he's just uh, hitting some fluke weeks here? Yeah, he's next to last in the league in points scored right now. So uh, this, this doesn't resemble a fluky performance for him. His team does seem to have some issues. Um, I'm not sure what led to him benching Joe Mixon the week he was facing the Jaguars. I know he was having a rough go of it going in, but uh, Jacksonville was a pushover in the run game. Um, I think he, he really thought Daryl Henderson, I, I thought Daryl Henderson was going to take over the lead back role there in, in Los Angeles. Turns out as soon as Malcolm Brown got uh, healthy again and turned right back into a timeshare. So uh, as mentioned, he, uh, he swung a deal with me to get Miles Sanders and Jamison Crowder trying to get a little more consistency out of his team. And, uh, a little more uh, quantity, maybe not so much quality on that. He's giving up Devontae Adams, who went healthy as a, a top receiver in this, but he really needs to fill out that roster. So it's kind of where he is. DJ Moore has been underperforming the first couple weeks. Uh, Julio Jones, who we just got from Dave, is also fighting injuries the same way Devontae was. So it's just a combination of things hitting him right now. Uh, and he finds himself here at one and three, kind of uncharted territory for Steve. So uh, the next couple weeks are going to be crucial for him. Are you hitting the panic button if you're Steve? I'm not sure I'm panicking, but I think he knows he definitely has to do something with this roster. He can't just keep it where it is. Uh, and I think that's what led to him uh, calling me up to, to try and swing a deal. 
wouldn't surprise me if he's hitting up a couple of other owners in the league trying to swing similar deals. Um, he's, he's got some work to do. Dak is obviously uh, performing like crazy for him as a top quarterback in fantasy right now, throwing for 450 every week. Uh, but the rest of the roster, uh, he's got a lot of inconsistency there. Well, and we covered this last week. We hit Dave pretty hard with that Mike Davis trade. But think about who Steve gave up. Kenny Galladay and Mike Davis. You don't think Steve would like to have those two guys on his roster right now, given the injuries to their Steven core and given his weakness at running back? And I say weakness. He's kind of got James Robinson and Daryl Henderson. Um, obviously, you put Mixon in the lineup, it looks a lot better. But you can't trust Ingram in Baltimore right now because of that timeshare. Uh, Joshua Kelly, again, working on a timeshare, might have more opportunity with Austin Eckler out, but you never quite know what you're going to get there. And obviously, the bell cow here, Saquon Barkley, is out for the year. So... Uh, if I had a guy like Mike Davis for a few weeks, get a few wins on the board, I might be more comfortable than where Steve is right now. So I don't think I'm panicking necessarily either, but I'm also a little bit disappointed if I'm Steve to see that that move didn't pay off and have immediate dividends. Because obviously this week, having a guy like Kenny Galladay and a guy like Mike Davis out there might have been the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, and uh, you're, you're finding yourself coming into this next week. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Joe Mixon gets to face the Ravens this week. So it might be that week where this seems like the appropriate time to maybe put him on the bench. So you're not really sure what you're getting from him on a week-by-week -week basis just based on what that offensive line is in Cincy. So some real questions for Steve's team here. Moving on, we go to our leading scorer of the week, Vince Gorgonzola. Scott Tots moves to 2-2 two and two as he beats Dave Pesci's Lil Sebastian's 167.6. To 121.3. And as we look down Vince's lineup here, Patrick Mahomes uh, hits projection pretty much at 20. Austin Eckler puts up a disappointing performance there at 2.4. Kenyon Drake, 3.5. So his, th his top two running backs <clears throat> give him six points combined, less than. But Odell Beckham Jr. gives him 38. Adam Thielen gives him 26. George Kittle gives him 40. Melvin Gordon gives him 25. And that's going to be enough to take him over the top. On the other side, Peshin didn't have a bad showing with 121 points. Not exactly what he wanted to see, though. Uh, Drew Brees, just a touch below projection of 15. But Chris Carson gives him 25. Mike Davis, as we just talked about, gives him 22.1. Uh, D-Hop gives him 11. Uh, and then Austin Hooper with a... a a touchdown there in Cleveland to give him 14.4. Kenny Galladay, the other one at 16. So uh, Dave, I think, gets a pretty good showing. He drops to 2-2. Two and two. So uh, the B-team division there, uh, Vince is the top dog there at 2-2, two and two, and Dave right behind him at 2-2. Two and two. So the B-team division is sitting there, uh, you know, real even, kind of up for grabs uh, as we go into this game. But uh, tell me, what was your takeaway from this? Well, you go looking through Vince's roster here, and as you scroll down, you start at the top, and you're like, man, this really doesn't look very good. And then, boom, you hit the receivers. All of a sudden, okay, there's where the points came from. <clears throat> He's been waiting for a game like this from Odell Beckham. Uh, he had him for a portion last year. I had him for a portion. He didn't do anything like this. This was like the old Giants Odell Beckham here. Uh, the passing game in Minnesota starting to get going, so Thielen's starting to get a little more work. George Kittle comes back from injury. He's immediately a major factor uh, with a backup quarterback play there. Uh, big, big week for, for Vince, who was on the verge of starting out 0-3. If it wasn't for uh, some Monday night heroics a couple weeks ago to get to 1-2, and two, and now he finds himself a 2-2 two two atop the division. So uh, really good change of fortune if you're Vince. 
yeah, this is what we're used to seeing from Vince, right? Top score, round top score. You know, this this feels more like la the Vince Gorgonzola from last year. Uh, I'm curious to see Tim if you think is this a, a sustainable thing for Vince? Um, is this the fluke game? You know, where where does where does Vince's team trend from here? Well, I'm inclined to believe this is more of a fluke than what we can expect moving forward. And I say that knowing that Vince isn't happy with his running back core. He, just this last week, offered me Kenyon Drake, who's disappointed to this point. And in fairness to Kenyon Drake and to Austin Eckler, those guys both left mid-game, which is why their scores are as low as they were. But Drake had been disappointed to this uh, juncture anyway. He offered me Kenyon Drake and Antonio Brown. Excuse me, Antonio Brown. Ooh, I see A. Brown from Force of Habit. Don't get us started. We'll oh, save that for another pod. A.J. Brown, uh, who is injured and has been injured uh, for, for this entire season, uh, for Todd Gurley and Devin Singletary, who are both players that we noted on my roster performing well in the mid-teens consistently. And when you go down Vince's roster, you can see that running back core is a little bit thin. Melvin Gordon... I don't know where he found 26 points. Um, you know, talk about playing the Jets, though, and that'll sort of lead to those kinds of uh, outcomes. But beyond that, you've got Carlos Hyde, zero points. Uh, you've got Damian Harris, who was just reactivated this week, puts up 10 points, uh, and that's obviously without Cam Newton in the lineup. You don't know what that New England offense is going to look like moving forward. So unless Vince can get 60-plus points from his receivers every week, unless he can get 40-plus points from George Kittle every week. I do see some holes in this roster that do concern me, um, and I wonder if this is just a really matchup-friendly week that allowed him to project that high and to ultimately score that high, uh, or if this is something that can be consistent moving forward. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna tend towards this being the fluke, uh, and I'll be curious, I um, haven't quite looked forward enough to see who his uh, next week's matchup would be, but I'll be curious if he plays a team of a little higher quality, um, if they don't give him a better run for their money this week. Moving on here to the worst game of the week, we see Kevin Hulix jump the chart, sneaks out of victory against Tyler Kerr's Saved by LaBelle, 191.9 to 89. and 91.9. I'm sorry, 91.9. <laughs> what did I say? 191.9. <clears throat> yeah, so, uh, so 100 less than what I said. 91.9 uh, to 89. And uh, th this was a really... Uh, I, I think what we were expecting from Kevin, you know, Kevin was, was really hit by, hard by the COVID bug here with Derrick Henry's Tennessee Titans not playing, Kevin Connor, I'm sorry, James Connors, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers not playing, along with the Steelers, D not playing. So he was only projected for 103.9, severely underhits that projection. He gets uh, really rough games across the board here. A.J. Green only gives him 1.3. Uh, Michael Gallup only 4.9, Zach Ertz 6.9, DJ Chark, the namesake, shows up with 29.5, but everybody else just, just really, really rough games. But this was the game that Ty was supposed to win. This was his shot, and his team just, just really, really struggled here. Uh, Leonard Fournette was projected zero. Didn't play. Didn't play. Didn't play. <laughs> and yet he's in the roster uh, and, of course, got zero. Matt Ryan under hits projection, 12.4, projected at 21. Uh, David Johnson, 11.2. Robert Woods, 9.7. Amari Cooper had a good game at 33, and that's a third of Tyler's points. So it, it's really a, a rough... That's not a third. It's more than that. But it, 
or less than that, I should say. But I'm not going to bill you out on the math point here. That's no, not yeah. I, I was, was pausing because I'm like, I'm going to fix that. Don't get tripped up on the math side. He should have won this game. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a good showing by Ty, but he should have snuck out a victory and got himself in the win column this week. If he if he just moves Burnett out of the lineup there and puts uh, Shady would have been close, but Brita, you put Brita in there, he gets the W. Yeah. So it just uh, Ty's got to help himself here a little bit, and uh, you know you you get a, a layup of a week there from Kevin where his team is just decimated by COVID and by injuries. You got to come away with a victory that week. Well, I should say there was a there was a group outing to Hawking Hills this weekend, and there was a lot of fantasy discussion as Groover um, put out a, a proposed rule change uh, to to add in some some roster, uh, we'll say guarantees for COVID and whatnot that that was kind of highly discussed and, and highly debated. So there's a lot of fantasy talk this weekend that Ty was a part of, um, and it didn't prompt him to go into his lineup. <laughs> And see who was what was going on there. Um, so that's a little disappointing from Ty, and I I don't know if he's tanking on purpose because he wants to take that that ACT again. I, I think that math score has been uh, bugging him since July. So we'll have to have him on soon and find out where where he is right now. If if this is the the beginning of the end of, of Tyler Kerr's time here, or if he is uh, is just really excited to take the test again. <laughs> it honestly could be either one at this point. Uh, Ty is a man of many qualities. Uh, he was particularly good at beer ball this weekend. For those unfamiliar, it's a, it's a fun drinking game. Uh, but you know what? All you have to do is show up for beer ball. There's no pre-thought involved. And Ty really does seem to struggle with this planning business. Uh, really just disappointing. Just <laughs> You can't say it any other way. And, and watching the Monday night games, you're hoping for more from Matt Ryan. That's a prolific offense. But, Tony, you saw it with a goose egg from Calvin Ridley. Uh, obviously a disappointing performance from Julio Jones. Basically the only person to benefit from that Monday night debacle was Todd Gurley. And he fell into the end zone basically in garbage time. So the Atlanta offense, I don't know what to make of it. Ty's obviously hitched his wagon to the quarterback there. But he's hitched his wagon to a lot of players. And, frankly, at times I just think the wagon's unhitched. So I don't know what to make of Ty. I don't know if he just wants to take the ACT. Uh, bless him if he does. Uh, looking forward to seeing if he can improve that math score. Yep. But on the other side, Kevin probably has his worst week in the last two years and comes away with a victory. So that's a that's a big win for him this week uh, when he was not at his best and he climbs himself to 2-2. Two and two. So he's got to feel pretty good moving forward. He's going to get a lot of firepower back this week. Yeah, we talked about you know the other side in the B team uh, division that it, it's really it's anybody's division at that point. And so you know, you're sitting in the Einstein's division here. You're at 2-2. Two and two, You're sitting in fourth. But as you approach playoffs, you know, you are primed. If you can make, you know, and obviously it's still early. We're only four weeks in. We're looking forward to week five here. But, you know, this is the time where you start to see teams really take shape. And, and if Kevin can, can, out, can outlive what will probably go down as his worst week of the season with the win, like you said, this is probably his worst game in a long time. Uh, yeah, this, this really speaks well to Kevin's team that uh, he, may be, he may be destined here for another playoff run. Uh, so we'll but see. if I could just jump in here, the one thing that does concern me about Kevin's roster are those wide receivers. Now, he was out, Connor and Henry, because of COVID, but he had his choice of receivers for this matchup. Adrian Green, 1.3. Michael Gallup, 
6.9. Excuse me, that was Zach Ertz. 4.9 for Gallup. Those were top receivers. Now, obviously, DJ Shark showed up, which you want to see that from wide receiver one. But I'm worried about the depth here. Now, Edelman suffers from having to have Brian Hoyer at quarterback, and he was on the bench. Uh, but beyond that, Chris Godwin, injury concerns this year. Um, I don't know. I, I, obviously, I agree this is a bad performance from Kevin, and you think brighter days are ahead. Uh, but he's somebody else I worry about his depth moving forward. Well, he's got to hope help is on the way there from his IR spots. Debo Samuel got healthy this week. Uh, needs to be activated by him this week, but that's that's number one receiver there in San Fran. And if Godwin can finally get healthy again, you kind of wonder at this point. He's sat out two different games for two different reasons. Is this going to be something that bugs him all season, or is he going to come back and be able to play with Brady on a week-by-week -week basis? Because you have to like his prospects if he makes it on the field. So there's a couple ifs for Kevin there. Yeah. But I think there's there's potential in the receiver room, but they, they have to stay on the field. And what ended up being our closest game of the week, we move into a B-team division matchup between Charlie Thurber's Blue Cat Lodge and Mike Engine Thrones' Bonnie McMurray. And unfortunately for Mike, he takes another heartbreaking loss, 144.9 to 143. Charlie gets, gets really good showing from Kyler Murray there at 23 points, outdoing his projection. Ronald Jones, 18.8 above projection. Uh, Jeff Wilson, though, only gives him uh, about three. Uh, but Mike Evans, 25. Will Fuller, 22. Uh, Chiefs defense, 18. So a, a pretty good showing out, out of out of Thurber's team. He's he's been kind of hot and cold this season, uh, but 145 essentially is a pretty good pretty good game. On the other side, uh, you know Mike Mike has a, a fairly solid game. Jonathan Taylor doesn't really show up for him; only gives him 8.9. Uh, everybody else though in the teens and 20s. So you know I don't I don't take too too much away here from Mike. Uh, just you know two. Rough, rough games in a row here for him. Yeah, he's been snake bitten here early. He's talked about last week how he could have potentially been three and zero out of the first three weeks and ends up one and two, just coming up on the short end of the stick. And it happens again here in week four, and he ends up down at one and three. Uh, needs to get more out of Jonathan Taylor there in his RB two spot, especially in a matchup like that against the Chicago Bears, who are very susceptible against the run. You expected a lot more out of him this week, uh, especially when the rest of the roster pretty much comes to play for him. And at the end of the day, he found himself in a shootout, and that one little weakness was the one that ended up uh, costing him the victory. So uh, I think he has to like where his roster is moving forward, but he's got to be hoping for some better luck. I mean, he's points-wise through the season, he's right about in the middle. So he's not vastly outscoring his projection every week but he finds himself in close battles week after week after week so um he has to hope you know the analytics talk here uh that that trend eventually reverses itself because uh, right now he's digging himself in a little bit of hole and that's not where he wanted to be starting out in this league i can guarantee you that no i agree i'm sympathetic to mike here i was watching that monday night game when jared stidham's pass gets deflected and taken into the end zone by Tyron Matthew. You've got an 18-point performance from the Kansas City D, and that's what puts him away the very last game of the week. Well, it was one later, but still, about as late an hour as you can lose that game. Uh, that's, just, that's just brutal. Now, what you see on the bench, though, for him, I like to see Antonio Gibson showing up with an almost 23-point performance. 
Um, obviously, you don't have a lot of optimism with the Washington football team and their offense, but they are changing quarterbacks this week. They're going to Kyle Allen over Dwayne Haskins. You wonder how that might change the fortunes of a guy like Terry McLaurin as well. Um, obviously, you want to see more productivity from, from Jonathan Taylor, but you know, uh, you got Robinson in Chicago shows up with a good performance with Nick Foles behind center there. So uh, I think brighter days are ahead for, for Mike's team. It really has just been a brutal run of bad luck. But if you're putting up 143 points, you're doing a hell of a lot better than about half this league. So you got to imagine you're talking about positive regression. He's a candidate for that for sure. Jarrett fucking Stidham. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll do it for our super cold open presented by Modine's 3. Pop yourself down there to Modine's 3. Talk to Gail and get yourself a poppers on the Frosty and Perini podcast. Well, as we are approaching here week five of the NFL season, you know, we talked about how the different uh, teams in the in our league are starting to separate themselves, but so are excuse me, so are the teams in the NFL. And if we if we look here at a few of these teams that are doing really well. And a few of these teams that are doing really poorly. Uh, I'm curious to get your guys' take on, you know, if these teams are, you know, these teams that are doing well. Are they for real, or are these flukes? And some of these teams that are struggling behind, you know, where, where, what do we expect out of them? So starting here in the AFC East, we see the Buffalo Bills sitting atop of the AFC East, and we don't see this usually, right? They're sitting at four and zero. The New England Patriots are sitting at two and two. So, I mean, are, are the Bills for real this year? I know that they were in the playoffs last year, so I don't want to make it seem like it's a, a rags-to-riches story. But to be sitting there at 4-0 and uh, as you're watching the the, uh, the the Patriots two games below you, that that's, I don't know, is that is that indicative of what's to come? Or are we going to start seeing roles reverse here, Tony? Uh, I think the Bills are for real. And uh, I've, been, I've been a big doubter of Josh Allen for a long, long time. But uh, the job that that staff there with Sean McDermott and Brian Dable that they've done with him over the last couple of years, kind of working him into the system, giving him things that are strengths early, allowing him to grow into the rest of his game, uh, it's really paying off through the first four weeks. And I don't think a lot of it is a fluke. You watch him play, he is he's processing things quicker. He's becoming more accurate, which is something you don't typically see from quarterbacks when they go from college to the pros. Um, and that the defense is solid. Uh, they have, I think they pretty easily have the best roster in that division. So if Allen keeps playing like he's playing, they could run away with this thing. Yeah, and I follow the Bills closely, as some of you all know. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But looking at the numbers, their, their differential, points for versus points against, is plus 23. Um, that's above the Patriots in that division. Um, and what's surprising is actually the points for, 123 which ranks in the top half of the league. Um, and actually, it's their defense that isn't performing as well as you would think. Now, they've had some injuries at linebacker. Um, Matt Milano, uh, Tremaine Edwards, these are guys that are high-impact performers for that defense. Um, and if anything, if the defense improves, you only expect that team to get better. So to see the offense where it is with the addition of Stephon Diggs, that seemed to have just totally revolutionized uh, that offense. We haven't even seen it with a healthy Zach Moss complimenting Devin Singletary in the backfield. Um, so as a Bills fan, um, I love to see what they're doing out there. There's some resiliency there. Obviously, they hung a ton of points on the Rams the other day. Had the Rams come all the way back, 
but Josh Allen led a game-winning drive down the field, which is exactly what you want to see out of a young quarterback in terms of positive growth. That's huge growth right there because, like, you know, you talk about the steps of learning how to win in the NFL, and you saw a lot of that last year with the Bills where they were beating the teams they were supposed to beat, and that's important. That's kind of where I, I think we talk about the AFC North here next. That's kind of the state where the Browns are trying to get to this year. You know, you're, you're winning the games you're supposed to win. But this year, they do, they do what they did, did to the uh, Los Angeles Rams, which are a very real team in this league. Now you're starting to see them beat the teams that uh, are some of the better ones in the league. And that's them taking the next step. But I think that's huge for them. Yeah, so moving on here to the AFC North, we see the Steelers sit atop that division at 3-0. and Of course, they their game was postponed due to COVID this past week. Uh, so they're sitting there at 3-0. and The Ravens and Browns follow it, both sitting there at 3-1. and And the fascinating thing to me here, we talked about the point differential, Tim, uh, a second ago with the Bills. I look at the points four for the Browns, and we see 124. That is the most points four in the AFC North. Unfortunately, they're also taking on the most points against. So their differential is negative two, but that points four is impressive. And so we know the Steelers have been have been good for a long time. They have Big Ben back, and they they really they seem to be doing fairly well, especially with our, our shortened offseason. The Ravens, we've seen Lamar Jackson, he's been doing very well. But the Browns are the shocking thing here, uh, sitting there at three and one. With, with the highest points for in the division. We don't really see the Browns there. So the question is, are they real or is this, are we going to come back down to normal where we start seeing the Browns in that, in that less than 500 range? Well, we're entering the territory where we were last year, uh, where you got towards the end of the season, the Browns had a murderer's row of a schedule to start the season, and you got to the end, and you're like, okay, well, they're still going to be in the playoff picture because their schedule is garbage down the stretch. And they went and lost to all the garbage teams. And it turned out they were the cupcake on the schedule. Uh, that's kind of what their schedule turns into here moving forward after these next two weeks. So they have the Colts this week, then they have the Steelers, and then they have uh, the Bengals again, the Jags. Uh, they have a, a lot of uh, porous teams on the roster that they need to beat up on. So this schedule set up for them to be real and to be in the mix for that, that seventh wild card spot that they're going to have this year. Um, you know, moving uh, so far where they've come from, you know, that you get the Bengals early, that helps them. You get the Washington football team early, that helps them. So as, as I mentioned with the Bills, they're starting to learn how to win these games they're supposed to win. Um, it's going to come down to how they play against the Colts this week and how they play against the Steelers the week after. But I think they have some real components there. Their defense is a problem. There's no denying that. They're really banged up on the back end. A lot of that help isn't coming back this season. So... Um, there's going to need to be some growth there, but I think in that division, they can stay relevant for a while. Uh, not really sure. The Steelers, obviously, 3-0. and They kind of get thrown out of whack here with this last week not being able to play. But the, the going into last week, the teams they had played had combined for an 0-9 record. So, yes, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat, but we're really not sure how good they are yet. I, I expect they're going to be in the picture at the end of the season, but... Are they better than the Ravens? Are they not? I don't think we know that yet. So, surprisingly, a lot of firepower in this division. Yeah, and I think what was most impressive was that rushing performance against the Cowboys. I mean, they hung, what was it, 300, almost 300 yards? 307. Right, and this is with Nick Chubb leaving the game. So, you could tell Stefanski's scheming up some really good running plays for that offense. 
really taking the ball out of Mayfield's hands, letting him do a little bit less. They literally took it out of hands when uh, Jarvis Landry <laughs> threw a touchdown to Odell Beckham. But that's the kind of thing you want to see out of an offense because in this league, you know, when you're looking at points four, points four, to go to Derek's previous point, you know, that's an indicator of a successful team in a lot of these divisions. I mean, you're seeing the division leaders basically scoring what the Browns have put up. So if they can tighten up that defense, uh, I really do think the Browns have a chance to uh, keep this going and, and make the playoffs. Maybe not win the division, but certainly compete for that wild card. I, I think getting this win against the Cowboys is going to be very important because that's a team that, you know, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. I don't think you, you look at the Cowboys as a team that they're supposed to beat. Um, I know the Cowboys are off to a shaky start here, but that's a game that can really shift momentum going forward. And I think within the locker room, they look around and they they go, oh, this is, you know, it's one thing to beat up on the Bengals, but now this is the game we weren't supposed to win. And they all they all know where they stand. They all know that what's, what, they, they listen to what's going on around the league. So to know that they, they went in there, they hung a ton of points on them, Yes, they, their defense let a lot of points come in too, but you're going up against an elite passer in Dak Prescott who will carve you up, and they still were able to sneak out that win. So, uh, and really not sneak it out, but, but did so pretty handily. Uh, so that, that's got to be a big, a big shift going forward. Moving down here into the AFC South, we see the Tennessee Titans sitting there at 3-0. and uh, The Colts at 3-1, and the Jags at 1-3, and and the Houston Texans at 0-4. And a couple interesting points here. Uh, the Colts have a defense. You know, I know we talked about it, Tony, with your game last week, but they've only allowed 56 points, and their differential is plus 47, uh, which is which is a really impressive uh, differential there. And so the question I have, uh, or, or with those top two teams, are the Titans for real at 3-0, and uh, only scoring 80 points with points against being 74, and then can the Colts' defense, can they maintain this? Because their points four are only 103. So their offense under Phillip Rivers is still kind of trying to figure out what they're, what they're doing here. But their defense seems to be just locked down. Well, I think they're both going to be in pretty good spots moving forward because they get to face Jacksonville and Houston uh, another time, each of them. Uh, Houston just fired Bill O'Brien. They became the first team in the league to fire their coach this year. Uh, Titans have been there, done that. They were in the AFC Championship game last year. They have a very mentally strong coach in Vrabel, and he, he runs a good program there. Tannehill is still performing pretty well. Derrick Henry usually does his best work later on in the season, so his time is going to come. Uh, the defense has been a little shaky to start the season, but I think they have the pieces there to fix that. So I think they're going to be relevant moving forward. Colts' defense looks really good. Chris Bowers put a lot of money and a lot of draft picks into that side. Um, now, you take it with a grain of salt. They faced the Jaguars, the Vikings, uh, the Jets, and the Bears. So not exactly a murderous row of offenses there. So they're going to be tested this week by the Browns just the way the Browns are going to be tested by their defense. So it's going to be a very interesting week to see. Um, but as long as Phillip Rivers can keep protecting the ball there, I think they're definitely going to be in the division title uh, area for that. I agree, and I like that you mentioned both of those squads because Tennessee's a team that we frankly have not seen a lot of because of the COVID cases that they're dealing with. So um, Tennessee, if they can get on the field this week, will also have an excellent test against the Buffalo Bills, the team we just talked about. So uh, I think this is going to be a real um, 
put up or shut up kind of a week for both Tennessee and Indianapolis. And we'll get to see, you know, you don't see a lot of holes on that Tennessee roster. I think the biggest issue there is maybe finding out if that offense can hang with some of the higher scoring teams in the league. Um, but I think this is a great weekend to find out what is real and what isn't in the AFC South. Um, I think both teams are going to have their hands full. Yeah, and I think, too, with, uh, with the Titans, we're going to have to watch this whole COVID situation. Not that I want to get into a whole COVID discussion here, but uh, they haven't been able to practice in their facility, and the word came in. It's Wednesday we're recording. The word came in today that they held an off-site practice. So uh, we expect that there will be some, some punishment, penalties, et cetera, coming down from the league. Not sure it will necessarily affect this season, you know, draft pick, fines, whatever it ends up being, but – I'm more concerned from a, like, how many guys are going to get COVID situation because this is the team that COVID seems to be fairly running rampant uh, through. We, we know from the Patriots it was it was kind of really just Cam Newton um, and uh, I think maybe one or two other players. But, uh, you know, the Tennessee Titans are, are getting hit fairly hard. Uh, jumping down here in the AFC West, we see the Chiefs sitting at atop at 4-0. Uh, with a, with a great differential plus forty seven, we know the Chiefs are for real. They're returning or they're defending champions. The question is the bottom half of this. Or I guess the, the next three. You have the Las Vegas Raiders sitting there at two and two. You have the L A Chargers at one and three, and the Denver Broncos at one and three. Can any of these teams turn their season around to be contenders, or is it pretty much just going to be the Chiefs sitting atop uh, amongst a pile of garbage? Uh, I think of the three teams, I think the Raiders have the most tools to do it. They brought their entire offensive line back this year. Uh, they have one of the better units in the league. Uh, Derek Carr has been doing a pretty good job of taking care of the football and moving the offense. They're efficient. They're not gonna. They're not gonna get drilled by a bunch of teams. They're gonna be in games with the style of play that Gruden uh, employs. And I think they can win some games against the Chargers and Broncos. Justin Herbert for the Chargers has looked very impressive so far, but. A lot, a lot of injuries on that team right now that are hurting them. And they get to face the Saints this week after facing the Bucks last week. Just a, a really tough schedule. I think Raiders are the best team equipped to, to manage that. Broncos also banged up. Yeah, it's disappointing because I would love to see what a fully healthy L.A. Chargers could do in this division. I mean, those defensive injuries are just brutal. You know, Joey Bosa, Derwin James. Um, I can't remember. The, there was a defensive line injury. This last week, um, the name escapes me, but it's another guy who was an impact performer for them. Um, Melvin. Oh, Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a defense that if all three of those guys are healthy are, are obviously at a higher level than they would be otherwise. You love what you're seeing out of Justin Herbert stepping in, uh, kind of unprepared to take the mantle this early in the season. But with Austin Eckler out uh, and that uncertainty on defense, I just don't think they've got the weapons to make a run in the FC West. So disappointing as that is, um, you know, it's, it is what it is for the Chargers this season. I think they're just dealing with the injury bug a little bit more than some other teams. You know, and as for the Broncos, I mean, they're on the third starting quarterback already due to injury. Um, and, and I just don't have a lot of optimism there, especially with Fawn Miller out for the year. Um, I don't know what Denver could do to get, you know, any higher up the ranking in that division. Um, but for me, it's just disappointing from a Los Angeles standpoint, that they're not going to be able to make a, a stronger push this year. Moving over to the NFC side, uh, the NFC East has three combined wins. Oh, I don't I'm think need another beer for this. Yeah, oh. right. <laughs> I don't think anybody in the NFC East is concerned with winning. Uh, the Eagles sit atop, <laughs> sit atop the division. Can you even say that? <laughs> Clearly not with a straight face. 
<laughs> they said atop the division of one, two, and one. Uh, the Washington football team, one and three. Cowboys, one and three. The Giants, zero oh and four. Uh, all their differentials are in the negative. The best team differential-wise are the Cowboys at negative 20. Um, so I guess from this, who who from here can can turn it around? And do any of them have a plus 500, uh, a plus 500 season going into the playoffs? Uh, this could be another one of those ones where the division winner ends at seven and nine. Uh, of the teams here, I think the Cowboys are the ones best equipped to turn it around and make a run. Their schedule does get easier here in the next couple weeks because, uh, namely, they get to face the other teams in the NFC East. Uh, and I think they're better equipped to deal with it. The Eagles are just... You talked about the Chargers being hurt with injuries. The Eagles have been completely decimated with them. And a lot of those guys I don't think are coming back very quickly uh, like they need to. Carson Wentz has hung out to dry again out there with no receivers and, and really no O-line help this year either. Um, so he's taken a beating. Washington, uh, they're doing a, a QB change right here. Uh, it's not the QB change that makes sense to me. Uh, to me, you either you let Haskins ride it out to find out what you fully have with him in that system, or if you see the schedule here where it is and you're placing the division and you decide you want to go for it, you put Alex Smith in, somebody who's a proven winner in this league who can probably win you that division because their defense is for real in Washington. Uh, they need to stop turning the ball over left and right. Um, so given they're going to Kyle Allen, I think Dallas is the team that's best equipped to ride this out. Um, and we didn't touch on the Giants, but no, I don't think they're going to go to the playoffs. <laughs> make the case. <laughs> I can make a mini case for them because their schedule early has been brutal. Yeah. But Daniel Jones is turning the ball over at the same rate he did last year. Doesn't really seem to be any growth there so far. It's doubtful they're turning it around. Yeah, and so the one the one bright spot for the Giants here is that their points against are only 96. So they're the lowest in the division, but their points for are only 47, uh, <laughs> which some teams put up in a game. Yeah, the Browns so, scored more than that last week. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, the crazy thing about New York, though, is even absent Saquon Barkley, and Sterling Shepard's been banged up, uh, I'm not sure if, if he even played last week or not, but you came into the season really liking what they had uh, in terms of Darius Slayton, uh, Evan Ingram, um, and then they just picked up Devontae Freeman, who's a guy who's had some success in this league. So I wonder if having the offense kind of gel a little bit more as these injuries kind of get settled and the, the players became you know, uh, more cohesive, if because you've got that strong defensive foundation, um, I, I can't do this with a straight face. The Giants are going to be terrible. The Cowboys are going to score a lot of points. And who the hell knows if any team makes it above eight wins this year. But I am just grateful that I have other football to watch besides the <laughs> NFC East. Moving up to the NFC North. The Green Bay Packers sitting atop there at 4-0. We talked about Aaron Rodgers. He looks like an Aaron Rodgers from years ago. Last year there was a lot of talk about, you know, how's the, the relationship between Rodgers and LaFleur. Um, and, and everything that came out of Green Bay was that the relationship's fine. Everybody was overreacting. But, you know, it, it, it felt like there was too much smoke for there not to be some fire. But it seems like whatever went on last year is they figured it out. And Aaron Rodgers looks like and, and feels like the Aaron Rodgers from before. He's having fun. You see him in these postgame you know, uh, interviews and that. He's back to the Aaron Rodgers we know and love, uh, which is great to see. 
because I think when Green Bay is doing well, the NFL is doing well. Like they're one of those just teams that that really uh, nobody hates the Packers outside of Minnesota, uh, maybe Chicago. Speaking of the Chicago, Chicago Bears are three and one. I don't know if anybody's noticed. Uh, they're not terrible this year, at least not so far. Um, their points for are only 85, but their points against are 81. So the defense is showing up there for them. Uh, the Lions sitting at one and three. The Vikings sitting at one and three. So I think it's pretty safe to say the Packers seem to be doing what they need to do. They're on the right track. They're putting up a ton of points, 152 points uh, so far, which in a quick scroll here is the highest in the league. So they have the most points for in the league, uh, which bodes really well. My question is, for the rest of the NFC North, what are we going to see? Are we seeing the Bears making a run here? Uh, are the Vikings going to come back? I don't think the, the Lions are going to do much. No, and I think the Bears are frauds. To, just to start right there, their schedule so far has not been strong. They've got the Lions, Giants, Falcons. Those are the three wins. Uh, finally faced a good team this past week against the Colts and uh, put up nine points, I believe it was. With the, I mean, you made it through two wins, and in the middle of your third game, you benched your starting quarterback. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what does that say? <laughs> so you go to Nick Foles. Uh, Foles look good for a half against the Falcons, who are so banged up in the secondary, they couldn't cover us right now. Um, and then the next week, you get a dose of reality that Foles really isn't any better than Trubisky at this point. So they are going to start coming back down to earth. Uh, the Lions, I like their talent. I have for quite some time. Their coaching is atrocious. I don't trust Matt Patricia at all. I think I don't think he makes it through the season. Uh, of these three teams, the Vikings are the ones I could see making a little bit of a rise and potentially competing for that seventh spot because that offense is starting to get going. And I guess I, I just don't buy that their defense, particularly their secondary, is going to remain this bad all season uh, with the, the penchant that Mike Zimmer has for building defensive talent there. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a division to sort out. I mean, we were just talking about the best defense in the league being the Indianapolis Colts, though. So do we think that was one really bad matchup for the Bears and maybe this new Foles offense could, you know, at least make it interesting? You know, you think about those, you know, Rex Grossman, the, the Kyle Orton years, where that defense was really holding it down. And again, we talked about the point differential. 81 points against, we know the Bears' defense is solid. Um, I, don't, I know Khalil Maxman struggling with injury. I don't know if he's out right now or not. Um, but they're definitely, they're just one of those teams that doesn't excite me one way or the other. They could end up, you know, seven and nine, uh, or they could end up nine and seven. And it honestly probably wouldn't make a hell of a bit of difference, especially as we're getting to the rest of the NFC. So for playoff purposes, the conversation begins and ends with Green Bay. Um, and I'm actually more interested in Green Bay because what fascinated me this week was how they were able to adapt to the injuries on their roster. So famously, we talked about Aaron Rodgers potentially being upset about not getting additional offensive firepower in the offseason, right? You've got Devontae Adams, and then you've got guys like Alan Lazard, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, basically dudes that aren't really going to excite you on the perimeter. So what did they do this week? Down um, Devontae Adams, they shifted their whole offensive game plan. Uh, you had Jamal Williams getting incorporated in the passing game. He's on my bench, so I was especially interested in this. Caught a bunch of passes out of the backfield on wheel routes. Uh, obviously utilizing Aaron Jones more. Um, but they've also got two other running backs there that they basically built a whole kind of offense with jet motion, this sort of sweep action before the snap. Robert Tanyan catches three touchdown passes, right? Who? Right? I mean, so I think the combination of Aaron Rodgers um, and, uh, and the head coach are, are really going to be 
the sort of the thing that keeps the Packers in the mix there. And as you pointed out earlier, they do have defensive firepower too. So they can shut down some of the top teams in this league. So as fun as it would be to discuss the bottom feeders and the NFC North for me, I think better days are ahead for Minnesota. Obviously, they've been hit hard by the injury bug too. Um, For me, all I really care about in the NFC North are the Green Bay Packers and what they can do against the rest of the league. And remember, we we lambasted the Packers in that post-draft episode, Charlie and I, uh, for their decision to take Jordan Love in the first round rather than a weapon for Rodgers. Just think if they had. (laughs) (laughs) This could be even worse. They have 152 points through four weeks. That could easily be in the 160s. Put Justin Jefferson on that team, right? Fellow LFC North uh, player. Yep. Moving down here to the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, they took that that first loss early, and I, I don't think anybody was panicking, but we've seen them go on a three-game win streak here. They're sitting there at 3-1. and one. The Saints at 2-2, two and two, the Panthers at 2-2, two and two, the Falcons at 0-4. Oh uh, the, the Buccaneers are the only ones in the division sitting with a positive differential at 28, plus 28. The Saints are even, uh, the Panthers at negative 3, the Falcons minus 32. Uh, so, you know, we're seeing Tom Brady get into form here. We're seeing, uh, you know, how they can they can use their uh, their team. The points against for Tampa is really good at 92. So that defense is there. I don't think they get enough credit for what they do. Uh, but you know, one of the best defenses is a really good offense, right? Just like a, a good offense is a great defense. So they're, they're getting some benefit there. The question is, you know, what what do we make of this division because it's it's still really anybody's division here. Uh, three and one, two teams sitting there at two and two. Uh, well, are we, are we done with the uh, is Tom Brady washed discussion that was happening after week one? Because <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was that was overreaction to a week one. Always um, is where you know. And keep in mind, we're going Tom Brady with Bruce Arians. We're going in a different system. It was, it was an overreaction after week one. We didn't know what Tom Brady without Bill Belichick was going to look like. We didn't know what Bill Belichick without Tom Brady was going to look like. Um, and we're finding out that both are really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know. And that, you face the Saints week one, who are right. the defending champs of the division. Um, no, they're 3-1 they're and one right now. And right now, uh, Chris Godwin hasn't played in two games. Mike Evans is hobbled. Scotty Miller, the wide receiver three, is hobbling. He's questionable coming into this week. They just lost O.J. Howard for the season. So they have, they've navigated the first quarter of the season getting three wins with a lot of their weapons out. And, and Gronk is not the same player. He's, he's making more of an impact as a blocker right now than a receiver. And Brady is still finding ways to win. And we just talked about the Bears, the Bucks going to Chicago uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, uh, on national TV. They come away with a victory there against the Bears team that we – we think isn't for real. They could be a four and one, uh, waiting out. Uh, hopefully to get Evans back healthy. Hopefully to get Godwin back healthy. So, and as you mentioned, their defense is the top five unit quietly. Uh, I think they're for real. I think they're going to end up winning this division. Uh, the Saints are battling a lot of injuries. I think they're definitely going to be there at the end of the day. I think there's some real concerns with Breeze uh, as you get into. Uh, playoff action getting to December uh, for that playoff push um, he's kind of worn down as the season's gone on the last couple years and I think you're going to see that again this year so um, it's obviously going to be those two at the top of the division I don't think Carolina's going to be a real contender this year but Teddy's playing well enough that they're going to sneakily get six or seven wins 
Yeah, unlike the AFC North, the rest of the AFC South does interest me. Because at the very bottom, you've got a team in the Atlanta Falcons who, and we talk about this from a fantasy standpoint all the time, the weapons are there. There's no reason this shouldn't be one of the most potent offenses in the league. And yet, when I watch them play, I just see something missing. And I think this is why when you talk about Dan Quinn being on the hot seat, the next coach potentially being fired, there's real concern for that. Talk about blown leads. I mean, the situation against the Dallas Cowboys comes to mind, right? Uh, but I think it was the first three weeks of the season they blew leads. Um, now, a lot of that has to do with the defense. Unfortunately, the secondary in particular had just been demolished. I mean, the replacement for the replacements have gone down yeah. in the Atlanta secondary. So you can't pin all of it on Dan Quinn. Um, but with an offense as prolific as it is, uh, you know, the thing about Matt Ryan is fantasy points. Ty lost that game, arguably, on the fact that Matt Ryan couldn't punch in a, a touchdown yeah. over the, uh, you know, through the air with the receiving talent that he has. Um, I feel like there's positive regression in their future, but it could just as easily be they continue on this downward trajectory. You talked about the situation in Carolina. Those guys are solid. You know, I don't know if they're 6-10 and 10 solid. I don't know if they're 9-7 and seven solid. They go anyway, but I like the way that they're coached. I like the way their system is designed to um, enhance Bridgewater's talents rather than um, you know, make him a, a liability. Um, and then ultimately, I, I don't know what to make of New Orleans this year. Uh, you know what they're doing on offense, and, and you expect better things from the defense. But to your point about Breeze, you know, what's he got left in him? You know, can he turn and hand it to Kamara or just you know, do bubble screens to Kamara all day, and maybe that gets them to the NFC Championship game? Um, but I think this year, with Tampa being a legitimate contender uh, in the entire conference, I don't think the Saints can just skate towards a division championship, and I don't like their chances to make the wild card when we get to the next division that we're about to talk about. You consider the strength out west. Moving into our last division here, we see the NFC West, uh, as Tim mentioned. And this is, this is a fascinating division because we look at the differentials. They're all positive. We have the Seattle Seahawks sitting at 4-0, the LA Rams 3-1, the Cardinals and 49ers then at 2-2. Two two. We see a lot of points for fairly high, the Seattle Seahawks sitting at 142, Rams 106, 49ers 107, uh, and points against all very good, the Seahawks the worst at 109, uh, Rams 80, Cardinals 92, 49ers 71. So this division is, is, has been a lot of fun to watch. The Seahawks are kind of running away with it at 4-0, but the Rams are right behind them at 3-1. The Cardinals and 49ers are, are right behind them at 2-2. Two two. So it, in two games, we can have a complete flip of this division. Um, so as things shake out here, you know who, who wins this division and, and who drops? Uh, well, people have been clamoring for Seattle to let Russ cook for years and years and years. Let him throw the ball because it was always a very conservative offense under Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer. And they're finally letting him air it out on first and second down and uh, uh, really being a more progressive offense. And it's paying off in a big way. Uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, they're putting up big points. The running game is still getting a lot of action. Uh, that offense is more prolific than it has ever been. Uh, their defense is not as formidable as it used to be, but the way they're playing, they don't really need to be either. Um, 
I really like them moving forward. They were my pick to win this division at the beginning of the year, and I have to stick with them at this point. Uh, the Rams, I kind of figured, were going to take a step back up like they did. I didn't think McVay's offense was going to stay where it was. I had a little, a few questions about their offensive line again coming into this season. They seem to have patched those up a decent amount. Uh, they're running the ball more than any team in the league right now. So they're very run-based. Uh, they're using Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown. Really haven't got Cam Akers into it yet, but once he gets healthy, I imagine he's going to be part of it too. So they have enough weapons everywhere on that offense to really keep you guessing. Uh, Cardinals, I don't really trust the Cardinals too much. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is this prolific offensive genius. They have 98 points right, <laughs> right now. In the last two weeks, they've lost to the Lions and the Panthers. So they aren't exactly blowing out good teams. Um, I think they're going to be in the basement of the division when it's all said and done. And the Niners are just trying to tread through these injuries right now. Jimmy G goes down. Their entire receiving core was out for the first couple of weeks. They're finally starting to get them back. They have a lot of injuries on the defensive side, and they've still only allowed 71 points through four games. So they are very well coached. Uh, most of this division outside of Arizona, I think, is extremely well coached. So I agree with you, Tim. This is a fun division to watch down the stretch. Yeah, and, and you talk about those injuries in San Francisco. I think that's the big story in this division because you, know, you have Raheem Mostert uh, and Tevin Coleman go down. And you know it's a very run-heavy offense and San Francisco, right? They don't want to have their quarterback trying to do too much, but when they need their quarterback to do something, you'd like to have a full complement of receivers too. With George Kittle just coming back, putting up 40 fantasy points, uh, I expect positive things in terms of uh, growth from the San Francisco offense. And if that defense can just hold on, um, again, they were another one just decimated by injuries to some of their top uh, performers. Um, Nick Bosa, you know, going down for the year is not going to help any team, um, and particularly not one that relies on him to, to pressure the passer. Um, but I'm with you. I think Arizona's the team that fades. There's a lot of hype about that offense coming into the season, but to me it seems like it's the Kyler and um, D-Hop show. Um, but, you know, Nuke alone can't run that offense. Obviously, we talked about the disappointing performance um, from a guy like Kenyon Drake in the backfield. They're not getting any balance there. Teams know what's coming. Uh, unless Kingsbury can out-scheme them, which he hasn't been able to do to this point, uh, you don't like their defense either to hold up. So I think we can kind of write off the Cardinals at this point, and I think it's a really interesting three-headed monster uh, at the top of the division. And, you know, the whole Russ Cook argument, I wonder if part of it is the actual coaches trusting to do that or also knowing that their defense is as vulnerable as it is right it's kind of a chicken and an egg i think both can be true um i think they are allowing him to be more flexible on first and second down but you know you've seen it against that game again i love the cowboys the cowboys have become the go-to like oh yeah the cowboys are going to hang a lot of points on you can you also then hang points on them well the answer is yes uh, and so seattle's a team that's Perfect exemplar of that is that we'll, we'll get scored on by some of the best teams in the league, but you know the offense is capable of matching them in a way that maybe some of the other teams in the division can't. So that's why I think Seattle ultimately takes the division. But in terms of the wild card slot, I think it's a you know open question as to whether the Rams and San Francisco um, can take them. Um, and I, I like those two teams against some of the other second tier teams from the rest of the division, the NFC. All right, boys. <clears throat> well. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm excited for the rest of the season. You know, we're only four games in, and this is a time where we, we start to see some teams that, like we said, will start to kind of go down that, that slide towards the end of the season, and some other teams are going to right the ship and get going back up. 
Um, so we will take a break here and catch a word from our sponsors and then we will get ready to make some picks on the other side. Catch you soon. Well, in this new COVID world, your kids are probably at, at home more than they ever have been before with hybrid schooling, with schooling from home. And so you're probably getting pretty sick of your kids. Well, good news parents, Christmas break is right around the corner. Summer break will be here before you know it. And hopefully this, all this COVID business is behind us. Well, when it is, this is the year that you should consider sending your kids to a camp, uh, whether it be over the winter or over the summer. And we have the camp for you. Camp Onawana, where you can row, jump, swim, play, go on trips. But the thing that lasts forever are the real friendships. Camp Onawana is run by top-notch counselors who are here to make sure your kids have a great time and learn all about the great outdoors. Mention that you heard about it here on the Frosty Podcast and you get the two-for-one special. You send one kid to camp and you sponsor another child to go to camp. This is a great opportunity to get more kids out into the open, out into the outdoors, away from their computers, away from their video games, and you get to help a fellow parent get rid of those pesky kids for a couple of weeks. So consider that two for one special. Mention you heard them on the Frosty Podcast. Camp on Awana, we hold you in our heart. It's time to get into the conference call presented by McLaren's Pub. In the first game we're going to discuss, we see Kalen King's Bob Roethlisberger going up against Dave Peschens, the Lil Sebastians. Right now, Bob's Roethlisberger's is projected to take this one 137.3 to Dave's 102.2. Expecting big games out of Ben Roethlisberger, Ezekiel Elliott uh, for Kalen. And on the flip side, Mike Davis and DeAndre Hopkins for Dave. So, Tim, I'm going to go to you here first. Kalen's projected to win this one by 35. Does the projection hold true, or does Dave sneak out a win here? Well, I'll make one amendment to the projection because presumably Dave's going to fill that flex spot where he's got Kenny Galladay on a bye. So that'll narrow the gap slightly, but... When you consider who he could fill that spot with, you see names like Christian Kirk, Nicole Hardman, uh, maybe Traquan Smith. But those are the receivers that are kind of in that whack-a-mole category. They're either going to go off or they're going to give you nothing. Um, and given what Kalen's been able to do this year consistently, 4-0, I mean, you look up and down the roster, you don't see a lot of holes. Um, i got to go with Kalen on this one. I think it's going to be a gonna be a walk but but the caveat there being that if he gets good performances out of Chris Carson and Mike Davis um, Golden Tate and DeAndre Hopkins pop I think Dave makes it closer than the projections currently make it appear Tony I was looking through here I think there's a lot of good matchups on Kalen's side and I think it's gonna make it tough on Dave uh, Dave gets Hopkins going up against the Jets uh, we already mentioned the Jets are kind of a get-right team for everybody. 
Uh, Mike Davis going against the Falcons, but a lot of his other matchups I don't really love. Uh, Chris Carson going up against the Vikings. Uh, it's their pass defense that's the issue, not so much their run defense. Uh, Golden Tate and that hapless giant offense right now. Uh, really don't know what to expect. They face a lot of good defenses so far. This is the first one that's really been uh, available for the for them to chew up. So uh, I think just on the other side, uh, DK Metcalf going up against that Vikings secondary. That's a great matchup. I think Roethlisberger can get a couple touchdowns on Philly's secondary. Kelsey should eat against the Raiders. Robbie Anderson has been on a tear, and he's going to be being covered by an accountant, basically, from, <laughs> from the Falcons. <laughs> So I'm going to have to go with Kalen as well. Yeah, I think there's way too much firepower on Kalen's team. Uh, we see him sitting there at 4-0. I think it's 5-0. <clears throat> Looking at the player rankings, Ezekiel Elliott, number 4, running back. Josh Jacobs, number 9. DK Metcalf, number 8. Travis Kelsey, the number 1 tight end in the league. So I think you have a lot of really strong players on Kalen's team. Uh, you know, Tony going through the matchups. So I, I, I think, yeah, there's no way Kalen doesn't come out with the victory here. Moving on here, we see a B-team division matchup between Charlie Thurber's Blue Cat Lodge and Steve Groover's Threat Level Midnight. And you know what this means, boys. The Rocky Top Rumble is alive and well. Groover projected to take this one 125.7 to 110.3. We do... Uh, I should say that there's an empty spot here for Charlie in the defense. He likes to drop that defense early. Um, so we don't know who he's going to pick up. So assuming that projection is going to jump a bit. We see Kyler Murray projected for 22 for Charlie. Uh, Mike Evans, 14.8. Will Fuller, 14. So expecting, you know, solid games out of these guys, but nobody really projected to go off. On the other side with Groover here, uh, Dak Prescott, always a contender there, especially going up against the, the Giants, as we talked about, um, at 21. We'll see, though, because that defense has been... Uh, uh, points points against weren't terrible. Uh, Joe Mixon, we'll see. He's in the starting roster this week. Uh, Steve learned after last week. However, we already talked about going up against Baltimore, a very different story. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but projected 15.4, Miles Sanders 17. So, Tim, we'll start with you. Who do you think uh, takes the first edition of this season's Rocky Top Rumble? Well, I'm heartened to see that for the first time, it feels like all season, Charlie has a defined number one and number two running back. He went into the draft with a no running back strategy, zero RB, that was really questionable the first couple weeks. But obviously he benefits from the Nick Chubb injury in Cleveland, so you expect a big game again out of Kareem Hunt. Looks like uh, Ronald Jones has found his footing there in Tampa Bay, literally. So if he can get uh, someone to fill that tight end spot to replace Noah Fant, um, you know, that Kansas City defense showed up last week. Uh, you know, they've got a matchup at home, always strong at home, uh, against the Vegas Raiders this week. Um, I think I'm going to go with the upset here. I think I'm going to pick uh, Charlie to take the uh, Rocky Top uh, Rumble here. That's a, I like that pick, Tim. And I, I jumped... I let Tony jump in front of me last time. That's not the order. Usually we let the guest go, and then I go, and then Tony goes, and Tony was <laughs> all off, and then you know I had to pick, and Tony had already given all the breakdown. It was all messed up. So I'm going to take this next one here, Tony. Get your head on screen. Yeah, there. No, it, I'm all messed up. Having three people in studio, I'm used to it just being me, and I get in my, my zone, but I'm out of my zone. But anyways, uh, looking at Groover, he's 1-3. He hasn't had a great start to the season. I think he's re over-relying on Joe Mixon here. 
uh, to have a game that I, I just I don't think he's going to have. Dak Prescott, I think, is going to do well. They got embarrassed last week. I'm looking down there. Um, I, I do expect James Robinson's going to have a pretty good game and is going to outperform that 16-point projection. Uh, I, I think he's going to be well into the 20s. On the other side, uh, Kyler Murray going up against the Jets. That's going to be a good game for him. And then Kareem Hunt without Nick Chubb in the lineup and going up against Indianapolis. The Colts do have a really good defense, as we've seen. At least we think they have a really good defense. We're going to find out here who's for real, right? Are the Browns for real or is the Colts defense for real? Uh, but either way, Kareem Hunt is going to catch balls. He's going to run. Uh, he's gonna, I think he's going to have a pretty good game. So we're going to see good games on both sides. Tim, I'm going to go with you just for the, the fact of I'd rather see Steve lose. I'm going <laughs> to pick Charlie Thurber for the Rocky Top Rumble as well. Tony, is it a clean sweep? Or do you believe in Groover? Well, there's one component here that we haven't touched on that is going to be worth watching going into this game, and that is the health of Michael Thomas on Charlie's team. He's been out of the lineup so long now we've kind of forgotten about him. Mm. Uh, but he was questionable to go last week. Uh, as the game got closer, they finally downgraded them to out. It's going to be interesting to see if he's able to go this week against the Chargers. Uh, if he is, I think that turns it in the tide of Charlie but I'm going to speculate that Michael Thomas is out one more week. And as much as I hate the matchups of Joe Mixon going against the Ravens and Miles Sanders going up against Pittsburgh, the matchups of DJ Moore going against the Falcons and Deontay Johnson going up against the Eagles, I love. And that Bucks defense going up against Nick Foles. Not to mention Dak gets to face the Giants, who I think he can light up pretty easily. I'm going to go with Steve. Uh, to get right a little bit here and get the two and three. So both these teams two and three after it. Speaking of get right, Tony, we go to your game next where we see Pretoria FC projected to take the loss right now at 125.9 to Mike Engine Thrones 129. Now it should be noted that trade that you talked about uh, with Devon, was it Devontae Adams? Yep. Uh, he's on by, but so you're sitting there with an empty RB two spot. Uh, who do you project will uh, will fill that spot? Right now, I plug David Montgomery into that RB two spot, so that takes my projection to 139, which does give you the 10 point uh, lead as far as the projection goes. So Tony, looking to uh, avenge that loss from last week, get back to his winning ways. Tim, does he pull it off? Well. I gave Mike a lot of love earlier for, you know, just having been snake-bitten, you know, with some of these matchups earlier in the year. Um, you know, Tony came back down to earth a little bit last week, and if you come back down that far again, uh, Mike's a guy who can get you. Uh, he'll put up the points. Um, you know, you really like what you're seeing from his roster here. We were talking, actually, about... Antonio Gibson. Gosh, is Mike listening in real time somewhere? Uh, <laughs> Plugged him right in. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Gibson's in the starting lineup now. Again, he's keeping Stephon Diggs there, who's had a great uh, chemistry with um, now Josh Allen. Now, the one thing you want to concern yourself with Stephon Diggs, though, is if the Titans are so stricken with COVID again, they get another bye week, uh, Stephon Diggs comes out of the lineup, and you're not quite sure who the replacement would be there. Maybe it's a guy like Terry McLaurin. Um, in which case you're kind of going with spare parts instead of your preferred starting lineup. Um, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about your roster, Tony. Obviously, it's one of the strongest top to bottom in the league. 
you've got the replacements there if you need them. Um, so as much as I would like to see, you know, Mike kind of have his week to start turning this thing around, um, I think at the end of the day, um, your team gets right, and, and ultimately, you know, Mike becomes the, the best worst team in the league. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Tony this week. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot of comparisons here between Mike Engine Throne this year and Kevin Hulick from last year, kind of running into those, <clears throat> those good games or losing heartbreakers at the end. Um, and I think, I think we're going to have that again. I'm looking at the matchups here. Lamar Jackson going up against Cincinnati. Alvin Kamara going up against the Chargers. Calvin Ridley against the Panthers. Tyler Lockett against the Vikings. Evan Ingram, we're going to see here. Yeah, going up against Dallas. The Browns were able to do well. We'll see what happens there. Um, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going up against the, uh, the Raiders. So I, I, I do... I'm going to give it to Tony here. I hate picking Tony, uh, especially as he's sitting right next to me. But uh, I am going to go ahead and give it to Tony because I think those matchups are so favorable compared to the other side. Mike is facing a, a much harder set of opponents for his guys. So I'm going to give it to Tony. Yeah, I'm a little shell-shocked from last year. As soon as my team started losing, it turned into a, uh, a very, very poor roll of about five losses in a row. So obviously that's in the back of my mind. Going into this week, though, I have to think there's more pressure on Mike sitting there one and three. With uh, I don't think he's going to want to start one and four. You know, you mentioned Kevin last year. Kevin was also, I believe, the leading scorer in the league mm. when he was at one and four. Uh, while Mike is out averaging his projection on a week by week basis, uh, he's not putting up the highest points in the league. So he needs the luck to turn a little bit. So I'm expecting a good showing from him here. I like some of his matchups. Uh, I don't think it's going to be an easy one either way. So this one uh, could go down to the wire. Moving on to the next game here, we see Vince Gorgonzola's Scott's Tots going into town to take on the battered Saved by LaBelle. Uh, Vince projected to, take, projected to take this one 127 to 98. Currently, Ty still has Leonard Fournette in there. He is doubtful, projected for zero. So hopefully Ty can, can get somebody else in there, but I'm not really sure uh, who, would, who would be a whole lot better here. Matt Breida, 5.4, is probably his next best uh, to go in there. So certainly not enough uh, to get the projected win. Uh, Tim, does Ty turn this around, or is this going to be a, an easy one for Vince? I mean, at this point, I'm just looking at who might be keeping members of Ty's roster for next year's team that Ty won't be managing. Uh, you know, you got guys like CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Robert Woods. CeeDee Lamb is not in the lineup. Um, Tyler Higby, a tight end. I mean, these are quality players that any team in this league will be happy to have either on their bench or, frankly, in their starting lineup. Um, but until Ty can fill an RB2 slot, which he's proved incapable of doing for the entire length of this season, um, I just can't see in any good conscience how you can pick Ty. Now, he gave Kevin a scare, but Kevin was kind of up against a historically strange week this year. Um, it, this year being, you know, stricken by COVID such as it is. Um, and obviously, uh, Vince is coming off a massive week where he almost puts up 170 points. So, um, And that was without, you know, his top two running backs. So I think Vince comes down to earth a little bit in terms of total points uh, scored. But uh, frankly, he could put up... 95 and you'd probably have tie by a handy margin so i'm going with this moving on to our game of the week kevin hulick's jump the shark 
coming into town to take on your Leave It to Beasley, Tim. Uh, Kevin is projected to take this one by the narrowest of margins, 124.5 to 124. Tim, you're uh, projecting to get a big game again out of Josh Allen, projected at 25. So ESPN uh, still keeps jacking his projection up, going up against the Tennessee Titans, uh, who have been battered. And so the question is going to be, as we've talked about a little bit, does this game get off the ground? Uh, we haven't heard, I haven't heard at least too much about is the game going to happen or not. Uh, not as much as, as like last week we were hearing about some of these games. Uh, but we'll see what happens with the Titans. But this may be problematic for you because you have Josh Allen and Devin Singletary for Buffalo going up against Tennessee. So right now they're projected to play, but uh, and that game's still projected to happen. Uh, on the other side here, we have Russell Wilson, the top-ranked quarterback in fantasy, projected at 24. And Derrick Henry is another one here with that Tennessee uh, projected at 18. So it, if, if this game does get postponed, it's going to hit both sides. Uh, so, so Tim, we'll start with you. Uh, comments on the game. Well, I just want to point out that Ty's roster is, is so poorly managed that he didn't even get analysis from two out of three hosts uh, on the last call. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm happy to talk about my team at length. I noticed by saying like uh, <laughs> I didn't. Well, that's what's great about being the third member of this yeah. is team is I will say that when I notice it. Um, so we can maybe jump back to that if y'all want to. Uh, give another shout out to Vince and his, his formidable roster. Yeah, I'm picking Vince. Yeah, uh, same. All right, all right. Well, maybe it worked out for the best then. Um, but yeah, you know, I won't, I won't pick this game outright, but I'll definitely say that is a concern. I'm already down the two uh, Green Bay Packers who we've seen you know, with Devontae Adams out, uh, Jamal Williams can be a viable, uh, probably flex play, um, given the way that the Packers' offense would adapt. I don't have either one of those two as an option in the RB slot. So if, for whatever reason, the Bills don't play, I'll be scrambling on the waiver wire to try to fill that role. And, hell, even for a running back, if Raheem Mostert doesn't go, excuse me, all of a sudden it's Todd Gurley and who the hell knows. So um, assuming the Bills game happens as planned, it's going to be a heck of a matchup. Um, and I'll be curious to see if the Tennessee defense is for real against what looks to be a very for real Bills offense. Um, again, I've outperformed my projections every single week. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Kevin obviously coming off a, what seemed like a down week, having both his running backs uh, where they belong in the starting lineup. Um, that's not going to be, uh, a, you know, a, a lay down by any measure. So uh, I expect Kevin to bring his gef- best game, and you know I just hope all my guys are on the field to uh, to match brass. Yeah, um, this is a tough game to pick. It, it really is, and I, I I don't know who to go with because <clears throat> I don't think this Tennessee Buffalo game is going to happen. At the end of the day, Tennessee keeps having guys put on COVID. Um, and I know, like, you know, you go to, like, drafts, and it's like, oh, we can't project trades and all that stuff. Like, we can't really project games getting canceled, but I think this game's getting canceled. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, oh, man. Tim, your, your team has been under undervalued all season by ESPN. The projections have been low. So I'm going to give a conditional pick. If the Tennessee game, Tennessee-Buffalo game happens, I'm going Tim. And if it doesn't, I'm going Kevin. 
so with all the information we have, the game's happening, so I'm gonna pick Tim. It's so soft. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we can only operate with the information we have at this time. I understand, at, at which point I'm picking Tim. <laughs> So given what we know right now, <laughs> between this Tennessee and Buffalo game, I think the advantage goes to Tim, I would agree. Uh, I don't think this is Derrick Henry time quite yet uh, for him. I think the, the Bills are going to focus on shutting him down. I think they're going to limit him for the most part. Obviously, he can always fall into the end zone once or twice and, and completely change that, but I don't think he's going to go off this game. I think Allen gets a couple more touchdowns. I think there's going to be some room for Singletary to make some plays. Uh, outside of that, this this lineup from both sides looks like a dead heat. Um, I'm going to give the slight nod to Tim's side to go to four and one here, based off the information we have. Here. <laughs> I picked. I picked. Don't give me this. You pick both sides. <laughs> I, of course, I pick both sides. They're very good teams on both sides. <laughs> I just hope everybody has fun. <laughs> Here's your participation trophy. <laughs> and that will do it for our conference call presented by McLaren's Pub. And that will do it for another episode. Tim, it was a pleasure having you back on the podcast. Yeah, I think we went out with a bang here. Obviously, it was great to have uh, both y'all live in studio. Happy to be here for this uh, monumentous occasion. And, uh, yeah, next time I'm back on leave, we'll look forward to doing it again. For Tony Perenti, I'm Derek Frost. Thank you for listening to the Frosty and Parenti podcast. We look forward to a great week five with a full slate of games, Tony, as best information we have right now. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>